0: Lord, we've heard of your great love for us. And we pray that as one of the works we were created to do, you would lead us into deeper understanding of who you are and how you would have us serve you and our world because we've attended to your word. Amen. Uh, A long time ago, um, back in the Middle Ages, when I was a student, um, I spent a couple of summers uh, on a mission. And uh, the form that it took for me was going to some of the more... um, What would you call them? Uh, Stalinist-looking hotels on the uh, east coast of Spain where package tours, which were then very popular, uh, would go and uh, we would turn up uh, with these English speakers. Uh, there were in those days only, I think, about three television channels. Um, so everyone watched the same ones and they were very feeling very deprived um, in Spain of those TV channels, uh, so deprived that they were willing to talk even about Jesus uh, to us who were out on mission. Um, And it was actually great fun. Uh, And it still lives with me that one of the basic texts we learned for that set of missions was from our reading this evening. Would you please uh, open your Bibles, if you haven't already got them open, to page 1174? And to Ephesians 2, uh, because Ephesians only has six chapters and not (laughs) ten. I know, it's not, you know, it's fine, don't worry, John. Um... And the basic text that was so important for us, and it's interesting because it was the 70s, uh, was that uh, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I guess many of us will know that verse. But the years have moved on, and the full picture in Ephesians has rather more layers, And what I want to bring to you this evening is this sense that we are not saved by works, but we are new created in Christ, verse 10, for good works. Because this is actually uh, part three of a three-part series. During the uh, last few months and concluding tonight, we're using our communion services in the evening and in the morning to review our vision statement as a church, and its three central features, growing more like Jesus, loving one another, and serving our networks and local communities. So we come to serving. And because of this text, this sense that we are created for good works, that seemed to make it a natural text as we think about serving. And the first thing I want to do is to start to unpack this uh, verse uh, of verse 10. Newly created? Uh, Yes. Because, according to the chapter earlier, we were dead, uh, but we are now alive. That the language moves uh, along in, in, in not always easy ways. As for you, this is verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air. This proves now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy, made us alive even when we were dead. So yes, we lived among a group of unbelieving uh, people influenced uh, in the ways of the world. But the result of that was that we were spiritually dead. And what that means is that dead becomes something almost of a technical term. Uh, It's important that we don't say it's the same as saying bad. Um, So, for example, Jesus says... Uh, it's it's no big deal being good if that means, for example, that you just put your family first. Even the heathen can manage that, he says. It's human nature. And I guess all of us here know good, kind, dear people who are perhaps much nicer than ourselves. (coughs) And yet, as Paul means things here in Ephesians, they're still dead simply because they're not alive in Christ. They haven't been brought to this new creation in Christ. For Paul, as he goes into uh, this chapter, it's actually been operative uh, even before this, and it will certainly operate throughout the rest of the letter. (coughs) Excuse me. The basic category in the world is not good and bad people, but between dead and alive people. So, sticking with verse 10 for a minute... (coughs) What are these good works that the newly created are supposed to do? Well, Ephesians is going to tell us that. It's going to tell us how we should live. It's going to cover some of those works. But there's a handy little rule of thumb available to us, one that's 500 years old or so. I am an Anglican. Someone has to be. That is, I belong to a stream of Christian life that looks all the way back to the establishing of the one undivided universal or Catholic Church as that was then drawn back to its basic truths in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And one of the really big issues in that Reformation was the place of good works, of doing good. The Church had forgotten Ephesians 2, 1-10. And it was offering salvation by serving by works uh, of a good kind. Thank you, Vitti. Maybe I can drown the frog in my throat. Thank you. It was a reformation that took us back to the Bible to see passages like Ephesians and recognize that, that, no, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace. And one of the legacies of that historic conflict for Anglicans was the articles of religion found in the back of any book of common prayer. It's still a continuing standard for Anglican faith and order. Uh, um, I'm going to tell you what's in it. Obviously, I I realize that most of you know them off by heart, but um, Article 12 says something that you probably won't find difficult to uh, disagree with. Good works are the fruits of faith. They cannot put away our sins, yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ. That's okay. We can kind of, yeah, that, that, that sounds right. But the next article, 13, says something a bit more dramatic. Works that spring not of faith in Christ are not done as God hath willed, such that we doubt not but they have the nature of sin. That's more stark. And what they mean taken together is this. Imagine uh, that you are walking towards a beggar on the street. Someone else is walking uh, the other way uh, towards that same beggar. The two of you, might perform for that beggar exactly the same action as an observer might see it. But the actions may still be utterly different night and day, death and life. If one of you is acting out of the grace of Christ and the other is not. And it's not just that one of you is uh, acting out of the grace of Christ and the other one is neutral. What Article 13 is saying is that if we if what we do does not proceed from the grace of Christ, then nothing is of any value and it has to be described as being sinful. Again, it's not like saying it's bad. It's just saying it does not partake of the nature of Christ and his offering. Therefore, we have to put it in another category, pleasing ourselves, not him. Even in two actions that may look the same, we have to look behind them to the heart. And actually, of course, We we sort of know that. Does the action, the work, the service spring of faith in Christ, as the article says? Well, what does Ephesians say then about the service and the life that does spring of faith in Christ? Well, as the letter continues, I certainly found it a surprising list. I'd never kind of taken it at this kind of canter before. And if you look through from chapters four through to six... I found these. Not that long since we've looked at Ephesians, so some of them, I guess, will resonate. Uh, That uh, uh, Paul is looking in Christ for a life that is um, humble, obedient to our gifting, truthful, given to building up the other person, kind, sexually moral, sober, thankful, praiseful, if I can invent a word, Submissive and well-armoured. What strikes me is that the list is entirely devoid of things to do. It's of absolutely no help as any church decides on a particular engagement as a form of service. Do we open a travelling library? Do we provide meals in school holidays? Should we offer a team to be street pastors on the streets of Norwich? And what Paul cares about in the life of service seems to be much less about attempting the extraordinary and much more about transforming the ordinary. Married life is there, family life is there, work life is there, church life is there. Let me illustrate. We've heard mention already in our prayers of the Who Cares mission. Uh, Perhaps if you're visiting, I should explain, uh, we uh, have been around our local area and there is more to do. Uh, simply asking on each doorstep and in each encounter one basic question. What's the thing in life that's hardest to handle or what hurts the most? Now I took that question with, uh, uh, with Andy, actually, where's Andy? I saw Andy coming in. There you are, hello Andrew, with, with Andy, uh, around one of the local streets and as I went, I would identify myself on the doorstep as coming from Holy Trinity. And one person, we'll call him John, said to me, opened the door, Oh, in that case, do you know X? Well, as it happens, I do know X uh, from our church. And I asked how John knew X. Well, it turns out they had weekly contact in their chosen pastime. I said, well, in that case, you must know Y too. And the answer came back, why? He doesn't go to church, does he? Now, that pastime isn't a Christian activity. It's not extraordinary. It doesn't appear to serve the local community. It's not a church project. But one of our members has made a terrific impression within the local community on John just by being a person of integrity, committed to what's going on, building up, being thankful and gentle quietly letting it be known where he stands, maintaining a witness that's distinctive, such that John has noticed and respects the Christian community a bit because of him. Unfortunately, another of our members has left the impression of hypocrisy. The ordinary transformed is what Paul cares about. Well, so much for what we can do. Can we work out some cautions about things we might not do. And let me pose to you an inquiry that came to me some years ago. I was approached with a request that the church offered a new uh, form of service and put its umbrella of support over a new Christian book club. Those attending would be Christians, and that would influence the choice of books. Those proposing it were good people, but I said no. Not because it's a bad thing to do, but because it doesn't need the church to back it. Uh, These were grown-ups. If they wanted to run a book club, they could run a book club. But the truth is, I would far rather that the individuals involved might have gone out into the great big wide world of book clubs, of which there are a few around uh, Norwich, and engage with their neighbours and contacts and in the process, act humbly, speak truthfully, act kindly and morally and soberly and thankfully, and so on. It's not dull. It's radical. John noticed and spoke to me about the witness of one of our members. It's radical and it speaks of Jesus. It's often true that we aim at something gospelly as a church but settle for something that looks a little bit like it, but isn't really. So, uh, we have an ambition, perhaps, as a church. And so, uh, the church, capital T, capital C, must have a project, something with capital letters in it. And when what we end up doing is protecting ourselves, giving ourselves a layer that protects us from the very interaction in which godly service of an Ephesians kind can be noticed. People expect churches to be nice. I don't know if that's a shock to you. So a nice church project doesn't leave our communities astonished that there should be a different kind of people in the world. They just say thank you very much and move on. Go to our community lunch sometime on uh, a Saturday, Saturday. And there are tremendous things going on, and I try to sit with the same uh, older bloke uh, when I go most times and try to move the conversation along each time. But I notice that at two o'clock, once dessert has been served and the cup of coffee has come out, there is a small group of uh, older ladies who reach for their coats, put them on, and get out as fast as they can in case anything godly Uh, may happen to them. They're not ungrateful for the fact that we have a lunch, but they know that they go to the Methodists on a Monday, they go to the URC on a Wednesday, and they come to us once a month on a Saturday. There's a well-known circuit of lunches. People expect churches to be nice. And being nice in that way doesn't in and of itself automatically speak of Jesus. I think it matters because we're setting ourselves up now to be more involved in our local neighbourhood than we ever have been. There are sections of our parish with whom we've barely interacted over the last 50 years. We will face the temptation to this project and that development, to this and that good thing. And we will have to be wary because we will be tempted to let the good thing of a project get in the way of the best thing, the simple interaction with our neighbours. Partly because a project gets reported, but a simple interaction with your neighbour may not. And that's why our small group dynamics are hugely important, because that's where that can be supported. For all the work involved... It's often easier to run a project than to walk across a room and say hello without that kind of insulation of a project around us. Now, does that mean we don't engage in any social action, any social projects? Of course it doesn't. Jesus cared about people, uh, their health and their well-being, and so should we. But he knew a time when he healed ten lepers, and nine of them said, thank you very much, and went on their way, and only one came back and took things further. It's OK to do good things just because they are to be done. But we have to be very cautious before placing on them the expectation that there there is going to be change. Now I'm not just saying this because I want to, to flatter a couple of people here who are heavily engaged in beesom, but I do like the Beesom model. Let me explain it to you if you've never heard of it. It's principally a mechanism. Um, that starts not with the challenge of there are people out there in the world who are needy, but a different challenge, that there are Christians who want to serve and, and, and to help. And it links up people who want to help and to serve with possibilities that there are out there. And in itself, even from that very start, I think that's good. It means we're not flattering ourselves too much about the difference we're making. It's humble. And it makes giving possible for uh, Christians. Uh, it quietly just gets on with it. And if someone, while a room is being decorated or, or a fence put up or a garden cleared, an owner or a tenant in a property asks transformer type questions, why are you doing this then? Then those questions get answered humbly and truthfully and praisefully. I like that model. If you like it and you want to pursue it, uh, talk to Richard or Hillary Beach afterwards. How might we try and put the whole package together, avoiding what we shouldn't do, doing what we should by way of serving our networks and local communities? How can we get it right? Because it's evident that we are not uh, all serving or serving rightly. Well, the first thing it seems to me to do is it's vital to make sure that in our heads, uh, verse 5 of chapter 2 comes before verse 10. It does in the text, but it may not always in our lives. Verse 5 comes first. The heart and soul of it is this. Can you, never mind the world, can you look at your own story, first of all, and see it in terms of death and life? Remember, it's not the same as good and bad. You don't have to have had a great experience of being turned round and made a better person. You just have to look at the person you are by nature. And let's face it, there may be people on the the outside world who look at you as a good, kind, solid character. But you have to be able to look at the person you are by nature and say that, so long as it's outside Christ, is death. Only in Christ am I alive. And I fear we may not easily say that about those in our networks and communities because we don't really like saying it about ourselves. But Jesus did not give up an hour a week, according to Mark 10, 45, to make you better. That verse says he gave up his life to save you. This is a death and life business. And serving Getting into works in verse 10 will make no sense if we haven't sorted out verse 5 first. Have you faced it for yourself? Are you one of those who comes to church and does good things and people seem to like you? And you may recognize that you're generally doing better than you were a while ago. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you are still not alive in this sense of Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. Faced with the charge of being an object of wrath, which is there, you are not yet holy and lightheartedly free to say, that was then, not now. Now I know I'm saved, and I know it's by God's sheer grace. I am saved. I've moved from death to life. And if you can't say that, then talk to us. And if others are to be saved by that same grace, then all our service of our networks and our local communities, what we set ourselves as ambitions within our vision, must be bent to that end. We do not want them to think we're nice. We don't want them to think we're good. They can get niceness and goodness anywhere. We want them so to be confronted by ordinary encounters with us thoroughly transformed in Christ, that only Jesus explains the utterly mad way that we behave humbly, truthfully, obediently, submissively, thankfully, praisefully. I sort of expected, planning this sermon, that I'd get to the end and there would be a, a great call to enter into the 17 forms of structured service that need filling, And they do. And they are good things. We are short of assistants and leaders for our Sunday groups in the morning through the summer. Uh, Stuart is on the PA for uh, not the first time, uh, because we need people on the PA. Uh, One of our main uh, evening PA people is getting married and going away. We need people on welcome. I thought that's where we would be. But I've come to realize there are much more important things to sort out first. Nothing that matters in a life of service can happen unless we who were dead first come to life by the grace of Christ. And then come to recognize that it is life from the dead that is the motive for all our service, so that our dear but dead neighbours might laugh and live. Let's pray together again. I'm going to uh, read part of this passage, and I'm going to move... Uh, Paul's language into the first person. And I want you either to rejoice because this is true for you or to recognize that there is something you still have to respond to because you can't actually see that it is true for you yet. Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made me alive with Christ. Even when I was dead in transgressions, it is by grace I have been saved. And God raised me up with Christ and seated me with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to me in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace I've been saved through faith And this not from myself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that I cannot boast. For I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Lord God, as we prayed earlier, we were reminded that this world is in the most terrible conflicts. And here, because it's set out as the topic, here in Ephesians, there's been nothing about Mosul. There's been nothing about Gaza. There's been nothing about those conflicts. And yet... Conflict reaches into the heart of who we are ourselves. As we look around a world where so many bad and good people are dead without Christ, so we long to serve our world, that the dead may live, And the answers we bring to our networks and local communities might ripple out as the service of your people makes a difference in your world. In Jesus' name, Amen.